Thorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold and a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. He's got it. 984, a world record for Donovan Bailey and a gold medal. A perfect score. 10.0 for Dante Cavanici. A perfect score. The first time I've never seen it is off the podium an olympics podcast coming to you today for another incredible interview with an Olympian and as you would have heard recently teasing up who we've got coming on the show we mentioned an Olympic gold medal winning sailor and today is the day that you're going to hear that chat as we speak to Tokyo gold medalist in the laser class Matt Wern. Now Matt won this gold medal in Tokyo the third Australian in a row to win the gold medal in the laser class of course tom slingsby back in london and one of the very first guests we ever had on this program back in 2016 mr tom burton won it in rio and we get a great chat here from matt learning a little bit more about his history throughout the sport his great rivalry actually has with tom burton and the disappointment of not being selected for rio of course which tom went on to win the gold and then what it was like to then be selected over tom to go into Tokyo, where he then would also go on to win the gold. So it's a, a great little story there about his rivalry with Tom and his friendship with Tom as well. And everything else in between, he's some great chats in terms of learning the training when it comes to the laser class, the ability of switching between certain categories throughout the sport. And we always have fun with sailors on the show because it's a sport that we, we do love hearing a lot about the ins and outs of it in a sport that, as you'll hear mentioned in this chat, doesn't often get a lot of attention until Australia needs saving at the Olympics. So uh, something that Matt was very much a part of. Not that we really needed saving in Tokyo, but uh, obviously added to the gold medal tally. And a fact too, that another thing we'll chat about in this interview you'll hear, is that he was part of the most historic day in Australian Olympic history. Part of that day, of course, in Tokyo, where we won four gold medals in one day. So we hear a little bit from Matt here about what it was like to be part of a historic day. It's a fantastic chat. You're going to love every second of this. Here's our chat with Australian Olympic gold medalist in the sport of sailing, Matt Wern. and excited to talk about the sport of sailing on this show. We actually, one of the very first guests we ever had on this show after the Rio Olympics was the gold medalist in the laser class, Mr. Tom Burton. And four years later, Australia retained that title and for the third consecutive Olympics, if you don't mind, won the laser class. And joining us on the show is a guy who won that, also a four-time medalist at the World championships and the first ever Australian to win the laser class at the Olympic Games not called Tom which I think is a pretty good achievement it's a pleasure to welcome to off the podium Matt Wern Matt welcome to the show today it's a pleasure to have you on the program yeah thanks Ben it's a pleasure to be here I'm sure that's a big achievement to be the first Australian to win the laser not called Tom I mean that that's a hard <laughs> achievement to get but I mean I'm sure it's probably the proudest of all those achievements I just read out yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, it started to started to seem like you needed to be named Tom to, to win a gold medal at the Games for Australia. But uh, yeah, I'm happy to, happy to break that voodoo for everyone Good. else, really. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then continue the sort of the trend of having, say, 2012, Tom, 2016, Tom, 2020, Matt, 2024, Matt. So, but be you that wins it again. So, kind of this weird. I like patterns. What can I say? I think that would just fit perfectly in a couple of years' time. It's no pressure, okay? Yeah, well, it sounds sounds like a perfect pattern to me. I would yeah. not complain. <laughs> Keep it flowing there. But I love sort of reading and learning a little bit about your background into sailing because you grew up in a sailing family, but. You very nearly could have been a completely different athlete. You could have been preparing in a, in a week or so time to be playing in the AFL finals because you 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 were quite a pretty good footy player growing up. So uh, I mean, kind of, what was it that you eventually took on sailing rather than maybe playing off in a in an AFL grand final? Yeah, I think um, yeah, it was obviously a lot of different things. Uh, yeah, the, the team aspect of football and stuff like that. Um, is obviously so completely different to what I do now with uh, with with the laser sailing that it's um, just me out in the water and um, at that at that time it was it was appealing just to to have the results and the the focus be purely on myself and sort of no one else to blame and um, even if you played an extremely good game of footy um, doesn't necessarily sort of secure you the win whereas yeah if you have a really good day out in the water in the laser then um, yeah more than likely you're going to have a good day. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, that was a pretty big part of it for myself. And um, I think as as well, like as I was sort of, uh, I guess, yeah, growing into my body in some sense that, um, that the running and the and those sorts of things, although I was still sort of adequately good enough for it that, um, and, yeah, if I had kept training for it that, yeah, I was probably more better suited for a sit-down sport, let's say, um, with, with sailing, something that you didn't need to, to be running and, and using your knees and your ankles as much. I like that term sit-down sport. Can I classify podcasting as a sit-down sport? So, I mean, I, I think I might steal that. <laughs> yeah, ah, go for it. <laughs> that works perfectly. So, I mean, growing up in Perth, I've got to ask a question. Were you a, a West Coast man, a, a Frio man, or kind of did you just buck the trend and go for somebody else? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, sort of went on off, off on a bit of a tangent. I, I followed Port Adelaide and still do follow Port Adelaide pretty closely. Um, but yeah, as far as the the WA rivalry goes, I was more of a Fremantle boy than a, a West ah, Coast guy. Um, smart, yeah, one of those like ones that. that go for anyone that that versus West Coast. But um, yeah, it seems to be that yeah, I was I was always a bit different and, and went for Port Adelaide. I've got to ask, like, we're here to talk about the Olympics, but I mean, how does somebody growing up in Perth go for Port Adelaide. I mean, me growing up in Tasmania, we've got no choice. We've got to go for somebody, you know, and usually you pick a Melbourne team. But for a somebody yeah. from Perth to choose an Adelaide team, that's a bit unusual. Yeah, I think um, when, I, when we first started playing football, like sort of that Auskick sort of junior level that um, we played in the Port Adelaide Jumpers, uh, I think that was a big part of it. And then as well, sort of around that 2004 era, when I, was, I guess I started to become a bit more involved in sport and could understand it a bit more that, uh, yeah, Port Adelaide won their, their grand final and we're sort of um yeah doing well as a team and i think as any young kid you just jump on the bandwagon a little bit so um yeah that's probably the main reason and you soak that success up right because you think like this is going to last forever and then they keep breaking <laughs> yeah, exactly your heart right. yeah. all the time i'm a carlton supporter so i'm still sulking after yesterday so it's um uh, right yeah yeah been a rough 24 hours nearly had to cancel this matt i was like i don't know if i'm ready to, <laughs> to face the world basically uh, when it when it comes to sort of your family's background with sailing had they had experience in, in laser? I mean, sort of what drew you into the, the laser category? Yeah, I guess my my parents' background in sailing is more in the bigger boats. 
um, yeah, obviously at a club level, um, doing, yeah, sort of the 20, 20 footers, 30 footer sort of boats uh, in Perth, um, sort of bigger crews and stuff. And I guess that's how I initially got into sailing, sort of going out with them on their boat and things like that. But um, yeah, uh, my older brother and sister both were sort of involved in sailing um, and yeah, just hanging around your clubs. Uh, I, and I guess, yeah, I begged my parents enough to, to do a learn to sail course and obviously started in a smaller boat, the Optimus, but that uh, eventually sort of led to, to the laser. And uh, I guess the biggest part of it was just the, a costing. Um, the laser's a reasonably cheap boat uh, and, re- and reasonably accessible as well. Um, there's plenty of them around and you don't really need the best boat as well to be competitive. Um, they're all quite similar. So, um, yeah, I guess that was the initial reason why I got into the laser, but uh, it sort of just all worked out in the sense of, yeah, body size and things like that. And I, I sort of just fitted it the, the build perfectly, really. Because there's a lot of – I love it when we've had sailors on the show and kind of finding out that progression in the sport because – I can imagine at certain points you pursue, say, Olympic sailing versus the bigger boats, you know, in America's carpet, Sydney to Hobart, that sort of scene. Was that something that steered you towards maybe an Olympic appearance because that's what you wanted to do or kind of, you know, and when, when does a sailor have to kind of make that decision, which way you want to follow? Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, I guess you can in some sense dabble in, in, in most sides of the, the sport, but, yeah, you certainly have to... I feel like you need to be committed to the the games route, at least speaking from my own experience of at quite a youth age. So the decision has to be made quite early. Um, I, I guess you can always defer into the bigger boat and the America's Cup stuff and the professional side of sailing um, at any time, really. But if you want to specifically go for the games, um, certainly sort of history says and um, the success of the team says that you need to be making that decision at quite a young age and sort of before you even left school, you really need to be sort of set on that path. So, yeah, it's quite an early call. And, I mean, I sort of see the Olympics as a bit of a pathway into the America's Cup and into the more professional side of sailing and see it as a bit of a, yeah, a resume builder in some sense, um, trying to get those results. And, yeah, it's sort of that natural progression. But, um, yeah, I do also see the professional side of sailing, something you can do to a, a later age in your life. It's not such a big toll on your body and things like that. So, um, yeah, I always thought that the Olympics was the the feasible pathway and that's where the motivation was for such a long time. Are there rules kind of in sailing? Like if you are a professional sailor, you can't compete in the Olympics? Like is that a thing? Uh, the Olympics, not so much. Um, well, I guess we're technically, myself, technically deemed as a professional sailor anyway, um, purely due to the amount of days that we do sailing. Uh, but there's, there's rules about around professional sailors competing in the, the bigger boat regattas um, to make it fairer for, so it's not just sort of bankrolled by some rich millionaire that wants to have all the professionals on his boat and go and win everything. So, um, yeah, it sort of hamstrings us a little bit in that sense about going and making some money because you can only have three people on a boat that are professionals and, yeah, when you're sort of swinging in, you've got to make sure that you're, you're, you're one of them really. Fascinating. So is that sort of similar to, say, like the Sydney to Hobart? Like I'm not sure if you've done the Sydney to Hobart or not, Matt, but like can you just all of a sudden get a phone call and go, g'day, Matt, we want you on our, on our boat or are there, again, certain rules around that? Yeah, the, the Sydney to Hobart's a bit different. You can, uh, I guess, most of the people that, do the Sydney to Hobart would be professional um, purely from a, a safety and a risk point of view. Um, I think you need to have a certain amount of qualifications to do it. 
it's 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 something that I sort of aspire to do. Is yeah, it's it's on the it's on the bucket list, the sailing bucket list to do the Hobart. Um, yeah, hopefully can tick that off this year as well. But yeah, you certainly can just get a get a call up and and ask to be on the boat, and if they think that you're going to be yeah helpful to their campaign, and then come visit Hobart because that's a lot of the reason why some people come is obviously uh, on Boxing Day they, they get in a couple of boats. When you were growing up, sort of just in terms of the Olympics, was it something that every four years you paid attention to? Uh, you know, were there sort of moments growing up? I mean, I think you were about five when Sydney was on, so I'm not sure if, again, a lot of people of a certain age in Australia obviously got spurred on a lot by the Sydney Olympics. Sort of, What was your sort of Olympic background growing up? Yeah, I guess Sydney is probably my earliest memory of the Games, but to be honest, I can't obviously remember too much of it, only being sort of four or five years old at that point. Um, but I definitely definitely remember sort of going and picking up brother and sister from school and coming home and um, and sitting down and watching the Olympics and sort of having mum explain what, what it was uh, at the time. Def- definitely remember that. Uh, but I guess it wasn't until sort of 2008 really that um, I guess my first big involvement in 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 the olympics in the sense of uh having someone that i knew that uh was sailing at my local club that went to the olympics and was successful winning a gold medal and um i guess that was probably where the the big drive and the big motivator came from and sort of being like oh i really want to do that uh and i guess it came at that time of the life at time of my life where um my sailing was starting to progress as well in the sense of going to sort of junior world championships and things like that too so could sort of start to see the 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 steps being placed out in front of me and could uh really start to to picture a goal and an aspiration to go to the games now was that elise or tessa that were at your yeah yeah so both elise Elise and tessa obviously same boat so which i mean i can imagine is something like that where you see it directly from a place that you're involved in that that is achievable which i mean i can imagine really does spur you on so when you have that you kind of get that in your mind that this is achievable are you a a target driven sort of athlete do you then go okay i want to be in rio or i want to be in london or you know like do you sort of set yourself a pathway towards one of the next couple of olympics yeah i guess in in some sense the the olympics goal was so broad wasn't necessarily like yeah rio or tokyo or anything like that wasn't a a date set on it at that point. I, I guess it was more, um, and it's probably by the help of having some good coaches and mentors around me at the point at that point in time that it really set the the goals of getting into the state institute with Wace and then getting onto a yeah a national team and going to a world championships for a youth class and um, yeah and then stepping up into the senior class in the laser and um, then yeah getting onto the squad. There's all these little steps that. I guess hindsight looking back onto it was sort of in some sense set for me. Um, yeah, and, and you kind of knew that that was the process you needed to take to get to the Olympics. So uh, although the games were the, the end goal and obviously winning a gold medal was the dream, um, there was, yeah, there was always something smaller that I was, I was looking at in a shorter term in sort of a more 12 to 24-month space that was always the drive for me. It was always the, yeah, the thing motivating me to go out and train most days. How is that progression sort of when you go through those juniors through to the the senior ranks? I mean, you obviously compete in a couple of junior championships sort of, uh, you know, early 2010s, make your way up through those ranks. But is there a case of if you're dominating the junior circuit as a 15 or 16-year-old, can you all of a sudden qualify for a senior championships? Or is there sort of a, a an age limit when it comes to sailing that you can't compete and say in a senior one until you're a certain age? 
Yeah, so I guess senior events in in general, um, there's no no age limit. Um, yeah, you could yeah go and compete as a a twelve year old if you really wanted to. Um, but the world championship specifically, there is an age limit of sixteen years old. Um, so yeah, there is that that little yeah I guess hurdle you got to jump across if you. But I guess the biggest thing is just just like physiology, just size wise. Um, yeah, the, you, you're just not big enough yet. Uh, I was a pretty big teenager and I was still reasonably small for to compete against the others and um I just got lucky enough that the world championships were in in Perth in 2011 and and that was my first real taste of it and kind of got a bit of an exemption I was still 15 years old at the time um and, and could compete in the senior world so that was my first experience of all of it and I guess that really lit the fire of uh <laughs> yeah wanting to compete as a, as a as a senior athlete just the the, the sheer competitiveness of the the class because I believe in that period too you sort of made the national team sort of that then you sort of didn't make the team and then kind of did make the team so it was kind of a bit of back and forth back and forth which i can imagine is challenging because you make the team great feeling but then you never think you're going to get cut and then you do get cut and then it's i guess yeah. finding that way to bounce back so i can imagine that was a really interesting period yeah yeah su- super tough time um yeah sort of like i guess it's, it's one of those things that sort of you you look back on it and it definitely t- teaches you a few things and um yeah i probably qualified too early if that makes sense that I was, I was probably not ready to be sort of thrown into that um, super high level, getting a top 10 at world sort of thing. Um, although ability was was definitely probably there, the, the mental side of it and the physical side of it definitely wasn't. So um, the following year when, yeah, trying to re-qualify and, and things like that and the results just weren't happening, the pressure just keeps building and building and building. Um, and I guess you, you sort of don't expect the the pressure that you'd feel from the team itself to try and re-qualify. Um, and how much importance they put on it. So that was certainly hard to deal with and, and, and something that I struggled with for sure after not being able to do that. But then, um, yeah, obviously some really good people on on my side of things that sort of supporting me and stuff like that. And there was sort of that epiphany realisation moment that, like, can't keep competing with that sort of pressure on yourself. So um, really looking at that side of things and, and going forward and, and then obviously re-qualifying. It was sort of like, well, there's no looking back now sort of thing. We've we've ticked the boxes and are ready to, to sort of keep rolling on. Is there one key aspect in that period where you are sort of struggling to deal with that that was the big driving factor that changed that? Was it, was it the mental side of things, the physical side of things that really was the main driving force to have that epiphany that you were talking about? Yeah, I think I sort of just coming out of the youth side of things that I was so used to just being able to turn up and, and win almost that um, I was sort of still in that mindset that, oh, yeah, I'll just, just go sailing, go do the training and I'll be sweet. Didn't sort of understand at that point in time that, um, yeah, the amount of training that needs to happen both mentally, physically and everything else around it to, to support you on water sailing um, and even just life in general, just having that balance. Um yeah, it couldn't couldn't just sail anymore. Um, had to do all these other things that, yeah, sort of a one of those really hard meetings you have with with your sort of support team and stuff like that. That they're sort of really frank with you, and you you sort of go, "Well, yeah, something's got to change." And yeah, that was the the mental side, and I guess that's when I sort of really knuckled down and started hitting the gym a bit more, the cross training, yeah, doing some more work with the psychologists, and and really building from there. We mentioned, well, you mentioned that 
it's a sit-down sport, but I mean, it's obviously an incredibly physical sport sailing, <laughs> one that maybe doesn't get the credit as much as it probably deserves. But when it comes to, say, the laser class, when it's just you, I mean, what is that key part of your body that you're, is it an upper body thing because you're, you know, pulling on ropes and, and things like that, steering, or is, you know, it's a core system? Like, what what are you focusing when you go to a gym session? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of, it's one of those sports that, you can't sort of focus on one area, I guess, not like cycling and things like that where sort of leg-dominated sports where, yeah, we're quite uh, an overall body thing. So, like, our, our quads are obviously important, uh, our leg strength, so then we can sort of be what we call hiking out the side of the boat um, so we can hold ourselves out there. But then you need the strong core and the strong upper body to to be able to do the stuff with the ropes and, the, and what we call sheeting and steering, and, and there's quite a big toll from that sense. So... Um, yeah, when we go to the gym, yeah, it's usually a big all-round base uh, gym session. Um, we might sort of focus on the, the lower body a little bit more than some other classes do um, just because, yeah, the, the physiology of the way we're hiking. But, um, yeah, you've got to be strong everywhere. You've got to be fit in, in general. So we do a lot of cycling as well to, to help balance that out. Is there a rivalry in a sailor's gym that you go in there and go like the, the laser people are over here, the 470s are over there, like because maybe you've got to do a bit of training and is there a bit of like showmanship going on? Like, nah, the laser guys are tougher than you. Like, does that happen in in sailing? Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, the, I guess we, we, we all test with the similar sort of uh, movements and, and strength-based stuff. So, there's always um, like sort of a, and we're all quite different body types as well. Some some people are quite, yeah, need to be quite small and, and slight to to keep their weight down. But they're also so all that stuff sort of body weight, yeah, like um, power to weight ratios and things like that. that they work out. So yeah, we have a, a bit of a friendly competition between the classes that um, yeah, you gotta you gotta have a be- the best power to weight ratio on the squat or something compared to someone else. You would do the most reps with bench pull. Um, so yeah, there, there is a bit of friendly fire there for sure. And does laser come out on top? Like, are you are you the toughest athletes of all the sailors? Yeah, we we normally um, we're, we're certainly up there. Uh, but there used to be a, a big boys class called the Finn, um, which were like sort of hundred kilo, hundred ten kilo guys, and uh, yeah, they they were usually the kings of the gym. They were usually in there uh, more often than not, and uh, yeah, they'd usually get the the chocolates when it came to to winning that sort of stuff. Which I always love it too when it comes to say being at an Olympic village and you're hitting the gym, because I, I love hearing stories from athletes who are say going to a gym and they're trying to guess which sport like each of the other <laughs> athletes are. And how does sailor, how do sailors rank with that? Like if all of a sudden you're rocking up to the gym at the Olympic village and there's a freaking weightlifter next to you. And like, I mean, like it must be very fascinating to try and you're doing your workout while you're next to some pretty big athletes and maybe some different, all the different body shapes basically of Olympic athletes. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's certainly certainly different. Um, yeah, I think that we we also we always get looked at a bit strangely because a, a lot of our exercises, I guess, are sort of the out of the box exercises that the strength and conditioning guys sort of find that might um that might help us. So we're always standing on Swiss balls and pulling random cables and just doing really strange stuff. So you you always get stared at and. Yeah, looked at in some sense of like, what's this weirdo doing? And they're like, oh, yeah, they're a sailor sort of thing. Um, so there's a bit of that. But, yeah, I mean, when you're, you're in the gym with some some weightlifters or someone that's snatching or something that does it professionally, 
yeah, you're just sort of in awe in some sense. Um, you're sort of just the amount of weight that a human body can move and, and throw above their head. You sort of, yeah, you sort of sit there and, yeah, sort of in awe a little bit. But, um, yeah, it's always nice to have a bit of a mix-up and, and see some of the other body types and the way that the, yeah, some of the other athletes train for sure. It's like a guessing game I can imagine all the time, just like, oh, they're, they're a gymnast and they're they're a boxer and, like, you know, a handball. Like, I don't know. Like, just it yeah. seems like it would just be incredibly fun. Speaking of the Olympics, 2016, narrowly miss out on selection for Rio. Obviously, uh, miss out to Mr. Tom Burton, who goes on to win gold. I read a quote from you that said that this turned out to be the best thing for you, uh, basically. I mean, obviously, you go on to the next Olympics, win a gold medal. It worked out pretty all right for you in the end. But, I mean, I can't imagine that whole period wasn't difficult. I believe you sort of worked with Tom and he beats you to it, then he goes on to win a gold. I mean, that's a wave of emotions I can imagine that looking back on now was just a a crazy time in your life. Yeah, yeah. It... um... Yeah, again, it was sort of one of those sort of big turning points in in my career, and um, I guess in, in some sense it was yeah, it was a strange feeling because I sort of rocketed quite quickly into that potential Rio spot, um, and I guess yeah, in some sense put so much pressure on Tom and was always pushing Tom um, that for those sort of last couple of years leading into the games and. Uh, I guess the last eighteen months, I was I was beating Tom in in more regattas than not, um, and you, you sort of start to get your head starts to get filled with the idea that, um, well, you almost get clouded that like, well, there's no reason why I shouldn't be going to Rio, um, and obviously still being still quite young, still quite new to the whole Olympic circuit sort of thing. Um, that uh, I guess I was sort of a bit naive in that sense of of what actual work needs to be done to to be successful at the Olympics. So even though I probably could have gone, I don't think I was quite ready to to win a gold medal. And I guess that's where the the side from from Blackers, Michael Blackburn, our coach, really comes in and from the selection panel where they 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 definitely chose the right person in the end. Well obviously never know what I could have achieved, but I think deep down I sort of I know that that wouldn't have been a successful games for myself um in, in that sense. Um but it certainly lit that fire. It certainly motivated me that to make sure that that just definitely didn't happen for, for Tokyo, that there was no chance in hell that I was missing out on on going to the Olympics and having that opportunity. Um, so, yeah, there was that drive from from not qualifying. So I have a lot to, to thank for not, going to the, for not going to Rio, but I also see it as potentially a missed opportunity to, to have a, another medal in my back pocket um, for sure that, that that could have happened. Well you say about lighting a fire and then medals. I mean, did pretty all right in between Rio and Tokyo at the World Champs. I mean, bronze in 2017, silver in 2018, silver in 2019, silver in 2020. So, I mean, you did pretty okay there in, in the lead up to, to Tokyo. But the thing I, I, I was fascinating, you qualified for Tokyo September 2019, which, of course, at the time, you know, is less than a year out from the Olympics. We didn't know it was going to be nearly, you know, two years out, which having had a lot of winter athletes on recently and they're qualifying like two weeks before the Olympics, it's, it's yeah. a bit different. But what was that feeling like when you qualified and then you got the nod after everything that you just overcame missing out on Rio? Was that just utter, utter relief? And given that at that point it was, what, nine months out from an Olympics, mm. you can kind of relax a little bit and kind of, uh, you know, focus on the fact that you are officially going to the Olympics? Yeah, yeah, it was... Uh... 
yeah, certainly a strange time. That I guess we had finished up our, our qualification period, um, yeah, sort of back end of August, um, early September sort of thing. So kind of had sort of a month, six weeks to to sit and, and really think about <laughs> what, what I could have done better, what I could have done a bit different to, to maybe sway the decision a bit more because, yeah, Tom and I were sort of almost identical results over the year and um, it was really just a decision on the on the panel. So you're sort of sitting there just wondering whether you've <laughs> you've done all you can, but to finally get that that phone call and um, to be told that yeah, you're the one that selected was was pure relief, really. Um, not not all that much excitement at that time. Um, yeah, that that certainly didn't hit till till later. Um, but it was yeah, it was pure relief, really. That uh, yeah, that you've, 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 in some sense you've done the hardest part of the job uh, for us. That sort of beating the the current world champion, um, someone that's, yeah, obviously trying to go and defend their gold medal as well. They've, they've shown that they can be successful and you're trying to prove that you you can do the same thing. It was extremely hard and, yeah, you just, just never knew. So I guess, yeah, relief was that biggest one. But then, yeah, when it was sort of a couple of weeks later and we could go and do the the official, uh, I guess, ceremony, you can call it, to, to say that you've been selected, um, that's when things really started to sink in and you start to get that, that excitement and the goosebumps. And, um, yeah, I guess I went and had a bit of time off almost straight away um, after that just to, to chill out and then go and hit that last sort of eight to nine months really, really hard and, and really focus, well, at that time, nine months um, to focus on the game. So, yeah, it was, um, it was a really cool experience, but, yeah, obviously other things happened and uh <laughs> yes and there would be more time off uh that, that was <laughs> probably expected which just with tom I mean, in such a tense rivalry with him in the lead up to rear then after rear then into tokyo like i, I do you can you be friend like I'm, I'm sure you're friends unless you hate each other break the news here on the show today but like how is it when you're with someone like that who you're working against but closely with you you're fighting for the same spot because you're all athletes. You're all extremely competitive and, and driven. I can imagine that must be a very interesting relationship. Yeah, and it's a strange one as well because, like, Tom was already at the top of the laser, I guess, when I really started to to come into the team. So um, he was someone that I, uh, in some sense, looked up to, strived to be like when I first got into the team. So, um, yeah, at the beginning of the the campaign and stuff, that we were, we were staying together at events. We were obviously reasonably close spending quite a lot of time together and then all of a sudden selection period starts and you're sort of knocking each other off and beating each other for world championship medals and world cup medals that there's going to be that natural um sort of yeah butting of heads and uh, i think that's where we really start to lean on someone like like black as our coach who did a really good job of um making sure that we stayed together and worked as a team um i like to sort of think of it as a very much a professional relationship um we're sort of we, we we hung out and we were there together because we needed to be there to for each other to for the best for our country and best for our our, our squad um so that was a, a big part of it but i guess once the selection happened in general um for for tokyo there was obviously some natural disappointment from his his side and um almost like a a bit of like a bad relationship that will be a bad breakup uh in some sense that you have that time apart and you don't really talk to each other and, and things are a little bit sour for a little bit but like 
we're good mates now. Um, yeah, we're both doing a, a campaign on a on a on another boat together, and right. yeah, there, there's that side of things that yeah, obviously respects the fact that um, when I won a gold medal and things like that, and yeah, I totally understand from my side of things that there was that disappointment to not not get selected for the games. Um, so I, we both, I think, um, we're mature enough. To, to see the, the the lighter side of all of it. And, um, yeah, we're, we're certainly certainly good mates now. So it's one all then. You've both got a gold. You've both been cut just before an Olympic. So does that mean then this is the, the big finale is Paris, basically? We need to really keep an eye on this rivalry in the next couple of years. So who comes out on top then for, for the ultimate win? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think the team would, would like that to happen. Um, but, uh, Tom's obviously Tom's moved on in, in, in life at this point in time. Um, still competing, but he's moved to a different class with the 49er. Um, but yeah, he's 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 got a wife and a and a kid now, and I think he's he's set his sights on some different things in sailing and and, and life in general. So um, yeah, unfortunately there won't be that that third third round of the battle. But um, yeah, I mean, still part of the team and stuff. It's still good to have around. At the same, we've seen just the duel in the pool recently between USA and Australia. I, I don't know. We could have just like we, we've tried to amp up sailing in the past with some parts of the Caribbean music, so we could have just made that full on. It could be swords and everything going on out there to really, you know. But uh, shame. We'll, 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 we'll get we'll get Tom back on. We'll talk him back into going to. I don't know. We'll work something out there <laughs> yeah. so we can uh, go there. I always love finding out though from Olympians that moment where you perhaps feel that you are an Olympian, you know, uh, be it the moment you're selected, you're talking about, if you go to the opening ceremony, village life, the moment you compete, the moment the medals around your neck. I mean, there's so many options to choose from, but was there a moment that all of a sudden it hit you that I'm an Olympian? Yeah, I guess it, it probably wasn't until after the games, really. Um, it was such a such an odd experience with, with COVID and everything like that, that uh, I can imagine in a normal setting without any sort of the restrictions or anything like that, that you'd, You'd do the thing where you'd, you'd walk in off the plane with everyone else um, and you'd really have that moment of like, wow, like I'm at the atmosphere of the Olympic Games. But for us, it, it seems so normal in the sense of we flew in by ourselves, we got ferried off to our little location away from everyone else. Um, we went sailing each day. Okay, there was some really cool banners and there was a lot of other random people around and a lot of cameras and things like that. But was so focused on the games itself and the, the result itself that it kind of like had the blinkers up in some sense um, and couldn't really um, enjoy that atmosphere of the Olympic Games. Um, and, yeah, certainly COVID probably had a big effect on that. But it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't until after the Games where I guess started to do all the post-Olympic stuff and obviously having this success and everything like that that could really start to, to let it all sink in and be like, wow, I am a, an Olympian and, and a gold medalist at that. So, um, yeah, it, it was a strange experience, but it was it probably wasn't until after after the games itself that I really started to sink in. I also imagine though going into that in an event which Australia had won at the previous two Olympics. Obviously, Channel Seven did a bit of a piece on you. There would have been a bit of coverage on you, which I don't know if that is something that outside of sailing circles you're too used to, because sailing really is a sport, unfortunately, in Australia that. Sadly, some people only really give a shit about every four years during an Olympics. Yeah. So, I mean, does extra attention like that help you, spur you on? Did you find it hard to deal with? I mean, kind of what was all that sort of stuff like in the lead up to the Olympics? Yeah, yeah. It, it was certainly it was certainly tough. I think um, 
because obviously the the media and everything got around the whole COVID thing and not being able to travel and they almost had another 12 months to really sort of work on stories as well um, and, and sort of tried to find things to put in the media, whereas in the past it's been so busy with lead-up events for things like the swimming and, yeah, all other sports that um, the, they were sort of busy and didn't really want to worry about the sailing, whereas it certainly felt like this time around and that they they could focus on the sailing. And the, I think the fact that our sailing team was, was selected so early as well that, there was something that they could lean on to because it wasn't something that was going to change. It wasn't something that was going to be different for them. So we certainly got hammered a little bit more than we maybe were expecting um, in that 12 months leading up to the games. Uh, and you yeah, had to do a pretty big job of, of almost having Black as my coach as a, as a manager uh, in some sense to, to really filter through what he felt would be good for a career opportunity and what would just be a waste of time and what would yeah, potentially be, yeah, something that would unravel the the whole campaign. Um, so, yeah, sort of lent on that a lot. And then I guess once we got to the Olympics itself, um, it was quite easy to, to block all that out. I mean, obviously, the media is only allowed in certain places and with COVID, it was even more strict. Um, so, so that became quite easy. We just put a full blanket on everything. Um, obviously, knew that the pressure was there from the, the whole three-peat point of view and, uh, the previous success and even just the, the side of the selection with Tom, that um, there was that side of, well, have they chosen the right person to go to the Olympics? So, um, yeah, it was it was certainly something that was sitting there in the back. But uh, I think, yeah, at that, that point in my career and, and almost everyone's career that goes to the Olympics, you're used to dealing with that sort of stuff. And, yeah, uh, at the end of the day, you just go there and, and do what you can as a, as a competitor. Which I can still imagine, though, that you're going there – obviously striving to win a medal, do the best you can win it. But there must be something about that notion of a three-peat that just adds a little extra to it, right? I can imagine that this is Australia's event, you know, this is this is ours. We own the water for this. I mean, was there that element too that really kind of helped you mentally go like this is ours? Yeah, well, I guess it probably just added pressure really. Um, just like, oh, don't want to be that person that sort of ruins this for the country sort of thing. Um <laughs> Yeah, you sort of get, yeah, Australia's the dominant country in the laser and, yeah, you don't want to be that guy that, that ruins that success for, for the class and the country. So, um, yeah, there was that pressure. But, yeah, I mean, at the same time, it was just really exciting to be a part of that that history and to potentially be the person that that does the the third win and um, to continue that that streak for, for the country was, was just exciting uh, more so. But... I guess it was more the personal pressure, really, that that was there. But as well, um, the Blackers, who had coached both the two Toms and myself to the medals, I kind of knew that he was going to move on from the the coaching side of things and he wasn't going to be our coach anymore. So um, there was that pressure too that I I wanted to do it for him, for for everything that he's done for for the class and and for all of us. So, yeah, there was a a few different sort of angles to, to look at it. But I guess at the end of the day, there's no real critic like yourself and there's no real pressure like you're going to put on yourself to go and compete so um yeah at the end of the day let's just go out there and, and do what you can do always love finding out i mean you sort of touched on a little bit before about when you got to the olympics about how you know it didn't really feel overly different with the uniqueness of tokyo but was there any element of that olympic lifestyle that you were able to sort of take on board be it pin trading did you you know bump in <laughs> bump shoulders with Simone Biles or somebody like that where you can kind of just all of a sudden take uh, take it in a little bit somewhere there 
Yeah, unfortunately not because, um, yeah, our team had chosen to stay outside of the, the sailing village itself. Um, so we had our, had our own accommodation in a hotel. So we were literally just going from our room in the hotel to the sailing venue and back. Um, absolutely no interaction with anyone other than uh, our own coach, the physio, um, and then you might have a socially distant meal with someone else from the from the sailing team that's um yeah that, that happens to be in the same accommodation so yeah from that sense it was a bit disappointing um they didn't sort of get to do that that mingling and get to cross paths with some some yeah people that you really sort of look up to in in, in sport um and yeah sort of yeah idolize in some sense so that that was a bit of a shame but yeah i mean it was still amazing to to, to be around the, the whole atmosphere of it for sure which it seems, I mean, Paris, you're going to be there. We're just saying it right now. But because the, the sailing's not even in Paris, of course, is it? Like, is it, is it Marseille or Bordeaux? It's like it's the opposite end of the country, is it not? So, like, it's yeah. like you're not even going to be in that vicinity, unfortunately, it seems. So, uh, LA 2028, mate, you're just going to have to keep going. Brisbane 20, like, I mean, you're just going to have to keep going so you can finally experience this. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, yeah, again, yeah, Paris, if we do get to go, it's, it's disappointing that it's um, – yeah, it's an hour and a half flight away almost. So, um, yeah, there, there won't be any of that enjoyment of the opening ceremony and, and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, hopefully it's in a normal world and we can potentially go to the closing ceremony or something and, and do those sorts of fun things um, once we finish competing. But, yeah, I think you're, you're right. Just need to, to keep going until I eventually yeah. get that opportunity. Perfect, perfect <laughs> excuse. I mean, it could be worse. It could be a surfer. They're in bloody Tahiti. They're not even in the same continent. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's there's that to look at. The experience itself. So the first couple of races, obviously, not off to a great start. But from that point on, you let's be honest, Matt, you shattered in. You, you you win the gold with the race to go. What was it after race two that kind of turned it around? Did you just sort of see what had gone wrong or something and just was able to turn it around? Or, I mean, was there a moment that kind of helped you, you know, dominate the last bunch of races? Yeah, I guess not not much changed, really. Um, I guess those those first two races were quite a... Uh, they were quite um, weird circumstances. Uh, I guess the, the the first race we were put on the media course, which means that they basically just do the race regardless of the conditions. Um, that they're under such a time pressure, and obviously a sport that relies on the environment and actually having some proper wind, um, it's not really not really plausible sometimes. So yeah, that was a that was a marginal race and. Um, the, the next one was a breakage that was, that was out of my hands. Um, yeah, something that I couldn't control, which was something else that completely different that I had to deal with. But uh, I guess I, we, we knew deep down that I was, I was sailing well and the, the lead up to the Olympics, I was, I was winning almost every race that we were doing from a, from a training point of view. So we knew that the, I guess the form was there, uh, and that I was, had the ability to, to go and basically dominate the week. So, um, yeah, we just had to keep doing what we're doing and hoping that nothing else strange happened, really. Um, and and once I sort of got into that groove and and things started to fall into place, it was just, yeah, it was almost on autopilot, really. It was just sort of going through the going through the motions and, and doing what I knew I could do. Which I can imagine it's very momentum-based, so when you do get into that groove and you keep going through there, it just goes through the motions with it too, which... Do you, do you allow yourself in any of those moments to go, 
yeah, this is mine. This, this is it. You know, obviously, as I said, you, you get it with a race to spare, so you can obviously focus that last race, bit of a victory lap. But are there any of those other moments when you got that groove and, as you said, going through the motions that you just you dared to dream a little bit, that, that gold, you could taste it? It wasn't silver that you got the world champs anymore. It was, it was going to be gold. Yeah, not really, to be honest. I think um, because of obviously the way our, our regatta works in the sense that you can, you can drop your worst race, you can discard that. Um, but the fact that I had two um bad races it was like if i had another one it was like game over like we'll be lucky to make the top 10 sort of thing so i guess that was a really big side of it in the sense of like we cannot stop until this gold medal is in our pocket sort of thing um i cannot afford to have another bad race so there was there was always that i guess a bit of a motivator but it was always that drive that like well like we got to keep pushing on here we've got to keep looking forward just got to have the best race we can today um and yeah it wasn't really until yeah after that that last race on that friday that um i guess things were sealed in some sense that we could really really start to enjoy it Are you, like knowing that you go into your one more race obviously to get it but it's yours do you just I could imagine you're just so nervy at that point. Like, oh, my God, don't get COVID tomorrow or don't, mm-hmm. like, trip and hit your head when I go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Like, oh, drive an extra five kilometres slower on the way to the circuit. Like, because, I mean, yeah. I'm sure your mind is going over all the things that could prevent you even though you've got it. I mean, how nervy is it to go there knowing you've got the goal but you've still got one race to go? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, uh, we had, like, a we had a day off between – so we had the Saturday wow. as a lay day between Extra the, day. <laughs> yeah. So um, although like obviously an amazing position to be in from the sense of like basically secured a gold medal, that there was no no stress from a, a performance point of view. The yeah, like you say, that the stress around all the other stuff was just like, geez, you don't want to be that person that's in the media for having won a gold medal before the medal race, and then you end up losing it because you didn't turn up to some media commitment or you didn't turn up to your, get your boat checked at the right time. Like did that I was take just those like, drugs the other day or did I? Yeah, not? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully not to that point. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, like normally we'd have, we'd get to the boat park half an hour before we need to, if that, before we need to have our boats checked in and things like that. But, like, we were there like two hours before because it was just like, don't let something stupid, like a bit of traffic or that we didn't like account for or, yeah, getting caught up in security or something, like that being the thing that unravels the gold medal. So, yeah, that, that side of stress was, um, yeah, it was, was almost unbearable. But at the same time, you knew that, yeah, as long as you just turned up for, for your time slot and things like that, that everything was going to be okay. On the flip side of that, though, that moment when that's over with, you're officially a gold medalist. Is that something you can put into words, Matt? That you're an Olympic gold medalist? Yeah, it sort of still sort of, sort of still sinks into the into today. Um, that yeah, yeah, sort of get to hear it again, and I guess things like watching the Winter Olympics uh, and things like that. Um, yeah, sort of earlier this year that yeah that it really starts to sink in, but. Yeah, sort of standing on top of the dice and and yeah, having the national anthem play and you sort of, I guess I sort of ran through those images of of seeing people like Elise and Tessa standing uh, listening to the national anthem, the two Toms doing it. Uh, yeah, the the things that you've aspired to for so long and the images that you've had playing in your mind for so many years that sort of looking from like almost a third person point of view and, and you sort of looking at yourself standing on top of that podium and you start to, to realise that it's actually real. Um, 
so yeah that was a phenomenal experience and yeah we had quite a close team there as well and sort of seeing down and i was one of the first people well, i was the first people from our team to to win a medal um for the for sailing so to seeing the seeing the rest of the team down there and seeing the pure joy in, in their faces and, and the excitement from them um was was really a special experience for sure which also too the special experience i can mean added to it first of august 2021 will go down in history as australia's greatest day ever at the olympics you were one of yeah. our four gold medals that australia won that day which i mean were you aware of what had been happening with we gotten two in the swimming obviously logan got it in the cycling so i mean had you been made aware of that or was that something that say channel seven pointed out to you later or somebody pointed out to you later that you're part of this history making day yeah, yeah not at all <laughs> i mean um <laughs> I guess majority of the medals happened in that sort of lead up to the race um, and while I was out in the water as well. So, um, yeah, had no idea. <laughs> um, I obviously just assumed that I was going to come in and the media were going to be around the fact that I had won a gold medal and things like that. But, it, yeah, it wasn't until I was standing in front of uh, uh, the Channel 7 that, yeah, they sort of touched on the fact that, um, yeah, we had won three previous gold medals that day and I was the fourth and, yeah, it was like, wow, <laughs> sort of stand there for sort of 10 seconds and just just sort of letting that sink in. And, yeah, like you say, I'll always be part of that that history. And, yeah, he's hoping that we can go and win five gold medals on one day in, in Paris. But, um, and you'll be yeah, part of that day too, Matt. Be... I'm telling you, you're the, yeah. you're the lucky charm for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah, it definitely cool to be a part of that and to be the fourth person as well to do it. Um, yeah, it sort of seemed a little bit more special too. Because it's crazy to think that obviously as you're saying you're sort of not really integrated with a bunch of these other people but was there a bit of a vibe amongst sort of the Australian crew of the success that was happening in the whole team I've spoken to a few of the winters about this about how that success earlier in Beijing this year but I mean can you feel that is there some sort of weird thing in the Tokyo air that drifts across to the sailing venue of everything that's happening else in the uh, vicinity yeah definitely I mean like of course still watch the Olympics while while there so um yeah, you're seeing yeah other sports uh, reach success. Obviously, swimming being a big part of that, and um, yeah, you sort of you do so it does fuel you, um, does give you a bit of motivation. Um, but yeah, I think within a, the sailing team itself, that uh, it's quite a because we're so staggered through the week. Like there's like almost five days before um, the last class finishes to the, the first class finishes. So there's quite a weird sort of emotional state throughout the week um, from yeah nerves to excitement to pure joy. And then obviously disappointment as well that um, we had a, had a class with our, our NACRA squad that narrowly missed out on a medal and, and um, having one silver in, in Rio. So there was that disappointment. You, you sort of ride through those emotions as a team um, and you try not to get caught up in them while you're competing. But certainly for myself, having finished before everyone else, that could really sort of get invested in that. And, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a strange experience that obviously the success of, of other people and yourself, but then also the disappointment of the Olympics that you don't necessarily get to see as a normal person that, um, yeah, that, that was hard to deal with. And, and seeing that from a, a teammate point of view as well was tough. And which obviously with the uniqueness of it too, sort of once you win the gold, are you ferried out there? I mean, can you stay, did you stay a couple of days after to soak in with Matt and Will and closing ceremony things or are you just, you're out of there straight away? Yeah, well, well normally the rule was, yeah, get shipped out within the 48 hours sort of thing. But um, we got special exemption and, and I'd asked to, to stay around for, for Matt and Will uh, to finish as well. Um, 
and because we were lucky enough to be staying sort of separate to everyone else that, that we could do that um, as long as we stayed within our, our COVID requirements. So that was really cool. Um, I think I actually ended up becoming part of like the tech team in, in those five days so I could stay there. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, it, it was it was amazing just to, to hang around and, and to be a part of the team and just really help other people as well. Um, yeah, the, to, to sort of support them from an on-land point of view, um, sort of take the weight off them where we can sort of thing was just really nice as well. Um, and, and I guess like Matt and Will, like we were staying in the same place and um, I guess that that routine side of thing as well, that um, like we were having breakfast together every morning. So there was that side of it too that you felt like you had that, not an obligation, but you felt like you wanted to con- continue that routine for them while they were competing. So, um, yeah, that, that was really special in a, in a whole that you could just sort of be there for them and, yeah, uh, having no pressure from my side and could just do what I needed to do for them. Which I always, one thing I love about the Olympics is Australia can always rely on the sailors. I remember, I think it was <laughs> London when the media was, you know, having a field day with how bad Australia was doing then cut my goal to the sailors. But, I mean, Obviously, with Tokyo as well, I mean, take away those measly nine swimming gold medals that we won. Sailing is the equal, uh, you know, most successful sport in terms of gold medals alongside canoeing and rowing. So you can always rely on the Aussie sailors to uh, help boost that gold medal tally, right? I mean, it's just, we just know, how, you guys know what to do to help out Australia in the Olympics at, at, at a time of need. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, London certainly set us on that trend. Um, obviously, there's so many other things that happen in the background that make the results happen. But, yeah, it certainly seems that way. And I think the way that we fall in the schedule of the Olympics as well is we're always in a little bit of like a lull in the competition, sort of between the swimming and the athletics and the yep. other that, that second week. So I think um, once it sort of dies off after the swimming a little bit that, uh, yeah, we, we come in and, and secure a couple of medals and, um yeah, sort of kickstarts the whole nation again to 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 go into that second week of the Olympics. So um, yeah, it certainly feels like we fall into a good place. But um, yeah, hopefully we can continue that streak and let sailing be the the backbone of uh, yeah Australian Olympians. I've got to ask that. I mean, we're just time recording this. We're a couple of weeks removed from the Commonwealth Games. What do we have to do to get sailing at the Commonwealth Games? I mean, like I, I sailing is kind of one of those sports where I feel you don't really get to do many multi-sport events outside of an Olympic. So, I mean, Victoria 2026. You know, let's let's make it happen. Let's let's pitch the organising committee to put sailing at the Commonwealth Games because Australia would win every single bloody gold medal like we do with the swimming at the Commonwealth Games. That's easy. Come on. Yeah. Well, yeah. We don't really understand that either. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess from an infrastructure point of view as well, we're quite easy. Yeah. Um, so Got some water, sure put a why. boat on it. Simple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's exactly. no, there's um, nobody. You stand on the shores and watch. You, you can't hear the crowd anyway, so what does it matter? So, you know. Yeah. Oh, exactly right. Yeah, we, we don't understand that one. Obviously, a few uh, a few more medals would be would be nice for the, for the nation, whether it's Com Games or anything. But, yeah, not not sure. I think, um, yeah, we need to find the right people and have a quiet chat to them and uh, try and get it in, yeah, for, for 2026 for sure. We'll try to use our limited influence, Matt, to try and uh, get that uh, happening. (laughs) Uh, Before we get to some closing questions, a couple of things I love to touch on with any of our medalists. First of all, the medal. Matt, what do you do with it? Like, is it on display in a sock drawer kind of like, you know, where is the medal? 
Yeah, it's um, it's it's. Well, I like to hope it's still on display. Um, <laughs> it's currently back in in Perth um, at my parents' place. Uh, right. But yeah, so, so certainly straight after the games when I came back to Belgium, it uh, it sat pride and place on the uh, on the bookshelf uh, in the in the living room. So, um, yeah, and yeah, same thing back home. It, it certainly yeah, it obviously gets um watched over with a with a keen eye to make sure it doesn't go missing or anything but um yeah it's certainly just it's there for sure i don't don't want to hide it um yeah it's uh yeah obviously a nice thing to look at each day so uh, yeah it certainly sits there prior to place i was gonna say a bit of separation anxiety i mean you're, you're talking to us in belgium right now i mean like on the other side of the world like i mean god i would never want to take the bloody thing off but you like do, do you call your mum and dad like can i speak to it can i see it like can, please you know i need to, i need to see my medal yeah, it's, it's a little bit like that, um, I guess as well. Like obviously after the games, they carry it around everywhere from doing all the different events and and, and seeing people and, yeah, showing it off almost sort of thing. And, um, yeah, it's all of a sudden, uh, yeah, I went back over, over east and, and didn't take it with me, um, obviously from a security point of view. But, uh, yeah, it, it was like, oh, it sort of feels a bit strange that it's not with me sort of thing. And, yeah, there are those days where you're like, oh, I wouldn't mind just having a little look at it and a touch yeah. and feel to make sure it's still there, make sure it's real. Which is that fun to take through airport security? I mean, do you put it in your suitcase <laughs> or are you kind of just like wrap it around the neck so you deliberately go, oh, how embarrassing. I left my Olympic gold medal on. Oh, I better put it in the security tray. Yeah, there were there were some um, some interesting times. Um, I did a fair bit of travel just around Europe um, itself and obviously heading back home after the Games too. Um after that period that you go through the, I had it in my hand luggage um, and it would just be this big blob on the, <laughs> on the machine. And you'd always get this random question of like, what is it? So you have to take it out and show them. And then like, once they opened up the, like the, the case, they're like, Oh wow. It's Olympic gold medal. Um, so there, there was that. Yeah. A few different uh, sides. Of the, and then I think one day it actually, went out of sight for a little while that some guy Ooh. just got so excited and took it <laughs> um, had wow. to go show his manager or whatever. Um, so it was a bit like, Oh, I hope he's going to bring it back. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was quite cool to go through security and be like, yeah, it's just a gold medal. Well, not just a gold medal, but it's a gold medal. And then yeah, yeah. yeah pure yeah, enjoyment. You get, got to see on people's faces when they, when they got to see one. I always love to find out though, too, if you try and get free stuff with it, like when you're checking in, do you go, oops, my gold medal fell out. Maybe I should go in business <laughs> class. Like, I mean, is it something that you've tried to milk a little bit to get something free from it? Yeah. Again, I think, uh, I think COVID kind of hamstrung me a little bit with all that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's still time though, you're saying basically you've got some ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So certainly there was that side of, uh, and just wearing the, the Olympic clothing as well. Um, every yeah. time I checked in, make sure I had the jacket on or a shirt on or something, I had the Olympic rings on. Um, but yeah, it certainly has helped in some sense. Um, certainly got a few few free things and a little bit of uh, help here and there um, from from being a gold medalist. But yeah, unfortunately didn't get to didn't get to pull it out of the uh, the check in and get a free upgrade to business class or anything like Yet. that. Yet, Matt, the yeah, word yeah, yet, yeah. which you also get to be on a stamp. I love getting stamp stories. Did mum and dad rush out to Australia Post and buy a couple of reels of it? Do you still get a letter when you go back home and go, oh, shit, my face is on a letter? Like, I mean, that's, a, that's experience <laughs> like being on a stamp. Yeah, that was one of the weird ones. I think um, one of my one of my good mates um, just immediately sent me a message saying, I've bought one of your stamps so I can finally lick the back of your head. <laughs> and I was just like, that's a little bit strange, but um, yeah, good to know. Uh, so there are some, some some funny and weird stories about it, but yeah, it's, it's cool that uh, 
yeah, obviously you don't receive that much mail these days, but um, yeah, the, the the odd time that someone has to send a send a, a letter or something that they all, all of a sudden send a message saying like, well, here's a picture of your stamp on my letter. So um, yep. yeah, that is pretty cool. I I really hope we can get like I'm not hoping that people out there you know don't have the joys of being in a loving relationship, but if we get a single gold medalist on this show who can somehow work in what you just kind of alluded to on a Tinder profile. Like, hey, <laughs> if you want to lick the back of my head, like swipe right. Like it sounds a bit creepy, but then you can be like, no, I'm an Olympic gold medalist, have a stamp. Like I think there could be some fun with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you could play with the words for sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know how far you could go with that. That's up to interpretation. But I mean it's <laughs> yeah. it's that unique aspect of being an Australian Olympic gold medalist, you get a stamp with you. Moving forward, though, before we get to these closing questions, Matt, obviously Paris, the goal, are uh, you hoping to be the first Australian to to defend the, the laser gold medalist? I mean, is that kind of where the focus is right now, a little less than two years out from Paris? Yeah, yeah, it's exactly it. Um, no one in the laser at all has gone back to back at the Olympics before um, with the gold medal. So that's a pretty big motivation for myself. Um, yeah, obviously still in the prime of my career too. So there's there's sort of no real reason why we we can't see that happening but um yeah that, that's purely it to, to go and, and try and win a back-to-back gold medal for for australia in the laser class and uh yeah see see how things go from there because obviously it's a quicker turnaround usually than you would have in an olympics obviously it's it's a three-year turnaround rather than a, a four-year turnaround so i mean does that make it more challenging or is it better for the momentum side of things because you can kind of keep in that aspect of hey i just want a gold let's keep going let's win another gold yeah, you definitely. I think it's it's fallen at a perfect time for myself that um yeah, like I said, sort of at that that peak of my career almost. So it's um timing wise, it's it's amazing just to only have three years uh, between. But yeah, at the same time, it feels like we're we're running out of time as well. I mean, for for Tokyo, we were at the venue for since 2016 even. Um, so to only have a couple of years at the at the venue now, and I've only just done my first trip to Marseille. Um, so that that feels a bit strange, uh, and to to think that we're going into selections next year for the Olympics wow. um, is is yeah is is crazy to think about. Um, so yeah, it's it's sort of it's good and bad at the same time. I mean, um, yeah, it feels like it's gone really quick, and only having the three years that didn't think it would feel like that much of a difference. But losing twelve months um, from a, a lead-in point of view, yeah, it seems crazy. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's good and bad. Which, I don't, I don't know, I mentioned Brisbane before. Obviously, you, you focus on Paris, you're not thinking 10 years ahead. But, I mean, how tempting is that? And how is it possible for, like, is it possible for a sailor to go into that age? Because you've got a home Olympics in 10 years. I mean, that's going to be tempting mm. to any Australian, no matter what point they are in their career right now. Is it a possibility for a sailor to add another, you know, go into their mid-30s to, to compete? Is that the norm? Yeah, most definitely. Um, I mean... There's a guy in our class in laser class called Robert Scheidt who, yeah, has won, I think it's five medals now in, in the Olympics. Um, and he was he was 50 years old in Tokyo. Um, wow. Yeah. So, and competitive, like in the medal You'll home, be in the next going, Australian Olympics after Brisbane. You'll be in Adelaide yeah. 2046, whatever it will be then basically. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's certainly the possibility. Um, longevity is just the biggest thing, making sure the body holds together really, but like any athlete. Um, so that's probably the biggest side of it. But uh, 
yeah, there's absolutely no reason why I sort of can't see myself going there. Uh, going because it must be so alluring. Like, I mean, you've obviously got these other yeah. life goals you want to do, but I mean, how often does an athlete get to go to a, a home Olympics? That must be so tempting. Yeah, when when it, that all got announced um, last year, it was just like, yeah, wow. Uh, obviously, so far away, but at the same time, like you hear stories of of people from two thousand. Um, I mean, one of my early coaches, Belinda Stoll, who won gold in in two thousand. Like hearing some of the stories from from her around being at a home Olympics and winning a gold medal, like yeah, it's just a whole nother level. Um, and to be able to do that would just be amazing. So, and even just to compete at a home Olympics would be incredible. So, um, yeah, it's certainly sitting there in the, in the back of my mind and there's that side, yeah, sort of got other things you want to do in your life and, and yeah, maybe an Olympic campaign doesn't really go with that, but yeah, I mean, more than willing to put other things aside just to, to have a home, home Olympic games would be incredible, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go in Paris and, Maybe think about LA and go from there. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm picturing this now. You go and win gold in Paris. Tom comes back to Laser, and unfortunately, you lose out in LA. But, but then there's this big reunion. You and Tom get together for the 470 in Brisbane. Boom! It's the greatest <laughs> story. You both win your third Olympic gold medals, and you've teamed up in a boat. And the greatest story in Australian Olympic sailing. There you go. You can have that idea for free. Yeah, perfect. We would have to. Might have to sell that idea. I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> Make it feasible. Come on, it sells itself. That I mean, you guys could almost be in line to light the cauldron. We're trying to, we're selling out Kieran Perkins to fall over at the last minute so Stephen Bradbury can sweep in and light the cauldron because their Queensland is great. But like, come on, like, I don't think a sailor's ever lit the Olympic cauldron. So we're just going to get some fuel out there literally for the fire. Sounds pretty good to me. I'll run with it. Yeah, you take it all, you get all this advice, you <laughs> yeah. keep it there going, Matt. Now, we close out all our interviews with a set of uh, fun, silly, get-to-know-yourself questions. As always, these are based on a questionnaire that Team Canada gave their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. And as always as well, Matt, there is a drawing. El- if you want to, this isn't compulsory, but if, you, if you're <laughs> bored today and you want to do some drawing, send it in to us after the interview. We'll put it on our social media. Uh, there's an option here to draw a picture of yourself. Um, draw a picture. Well, this is of a Canadian animal, but please do an Australian animal, unless you would love to draw a beaver or something. And what would the coolest Olympic medal look like? You've got one. You're missing it. So maybe you could draw, I don't know, a boat or Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow. I have no idea. Um, So if you want to, Matt, no pressure. So (laughs) just feel free to send it in. We'll put it on social media. But I'll start off with uh, the first question. And you can answer your own gold gold medal winning moment if you like. Your favourite all-time Olympic moment is? Um, Yeah, I always go back to Usain Bolt winning his third of third gold medals. Um, That was was pretty cool to watch. Uh, Yeah, sort of three by three is pretty impressive. Um, Yeah, so that's probably probably one of my ultimate Olympic moments, um, apart from looking back at my own, to be honest. Yeah, of course, (laughs) which which is actually like, you know, the, the answers we get in that one, Weirdly, Usain Bolt doesn't get mentioned much as I think he should. So, yeah. Yeah, right. Thanks. Bring him to the table. That, that's, a, that's a great answer. I think it should be answered more. Uh, the best candy in the world is? Oof. Yeah, that is a tough one. I can't go past this like a good pack of like the Haribo Colas. Oh, yes. Good yeah. answer. Which is, are mm. they abundant in Belgium? Is that a thing? Like are they sort oh, of more common yeah. there? Than- yeah, yeah. Go to in Europe in general, really. Yeah, um, nice. Yeah, absolutely. Any shop will have them. <laughs> and is that a a staple diet of a sailor, or are you generally avoiding candy? Uh, 
Well, it depends who's listening to the podcast. No, okay. Uh, not many yeah. people, so you can say whatever you want. It's all good. <laughs> no, it is pretty staple. Lolly's a well and truly on the daily diet. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a, a little little nice little uh, pick-me-up snack uh, to get your last of I like yeah. that. The secrets are going there. Uh, what is your favourite sandwich? Ooh. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty impartial to a, just a peanut butter sandwich. It's usually my go-to out in the water. Um, yeah, so you're eating on the water, like you're actually. Uh, yeah. Is this this isn't on the yeah. laser, right? This is on a bigger boat, right? Is it or is it no, on the laser? No, just on the laser. Yeah, yeah. Get a coach with that a sandwich. My, All right. Yeah, my PB sandwich. Um, wow. But yeah, again, can't go past like a good chicken sanger, like bit of yeah, bit of salad, bit of mayo, sort of good one of those answer. deli style chicken sandwiches. Yeah. Are you a crunchy or a smooth peanut butter man? I'm a crunchy. You're yeah. a crunchy man. Okay. I was going to guess you're a crunchy man. You look like <laughs> a crunchy man. So there you go. Uh, in your spare time, what do you most like to do? Ooh, yeah. I mean, oh, the cliched stuff. <laughs> spend, spend time with my partner, Emma. Um, but, yeah, uh, sport's a pretty big part of my life. I like to, to follow all sports, um, cycling especially. Uh, and being based in Europe now um, it's perfect for for watching things like the Tour de France and yeah going and seeing some some live sport um, is a big thing as well as football as well try to follow it while I'm still over here Um, but yeah otherwise yeah going into a nice coffee shop too is a pretty big one Um, yeah no matter where we are in the world we're always trying to seek out a good coffee shop uh, so you got a few over in Europe, I can imagine that. That's not hard to find where you are, probably. <laughs> yeah, they're getting. There's more and more now. They're usually quite hard to find earlier, but yeah, they're they're, they're quite easy to find these days. Um, but yeah, that, that's mainly it, really. Yeah, just spending time with friends and family, really. Do you so just on the the footy front, the AFL front? So like, I, I lived overseas before, and I know how hard it is with the time differences and that to try and follow it. Like, oh, do I get up? Are we doing well enough that I'm going to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to watch <laughs> us? But is that something you you sign up to the AFL live and you sort of you set the alarm or like for a season? I'm not trying to rip fun into Port Adelaide. I I don't dislike Port Adelaide. Uh, like, was it like this year? Fuck it, we're not doing well enough. I don't need to get up and watch it. <laughs> Yeah, I can't say I'm hardcore enough to get up and uh, in the middle of the night and watch. Um, but yeah, I certainly yeah follow follow the live scores and stuff online. Um, yeah, sort of just touch base. Obviously, yeah, still spending spending a fair bit of time training. So um, yeah, there, there's that side of it too. But yeah, I do definitely do follow it yearly, and I'll, I'll always get the updates from back home if I'm uh, if I'm I don't happen to be watching at the time. I always get the cheeky little message from a mate being like, "Yeah, suck it." Uh, yeah, and you also always find out if you've lost or won or or you see yeah, that message first on your phone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I mean, yeah. do you do you give a shit about the finals? I mean, like you know, it's kind of like a, as a, you know, neutral supporter. Do you go in with a team that you want to win or care about? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think it's a bit like like Western Bulldogs winning the other year. Yeah, um, yeah you always, especially the grand final, um, regardless of who, who the team is, is, always someone that sort of prefer to see win over the others. So, yeah, definitely tune in for the finals. That's that's probably the bigger part that I'm more likely to tune into. But I think I'm uh, I think I'm home just for the grand final this year. So looking nice. forward to watching that. Watching Hopefully that live. Frio might make it then. So Perth would be a, a, a sea of purple, basically. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that would be cool to cool to watch. Um, obviously, seeing yeah. them go to the grand final once before, but it would be good to see them be successful at the grand final. So, um, yeah, although not a major supporter, that's yeah one of the one of the cool teams that would be good to see. They've always been my second team because I usually base it on 
least successful teams or like who I'd like to, you know, and that, that's generally what I do in a finals. Who hasn't won it in the longest, you know, and, and unless it's Collingwood or Hawthorne, they can get fucked. But like it's it's generally one of those teams. So, I mean, 2004, I was on the, the port train because Brisbane had won it three years and I was like, eh, stop winning Brisbane. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I've always had a real soft spot for Fremantle. So, uh, no, I'm very much on their their bandwagon for these uh, these finals. So hopefully, like, I just don't like West Coast either. So I'm kind of... No. No, you, you judge a team on their supporters, and I'm sorry, West yeah. Coast supporters, you bring it on yourself, let's be honest. Yeah, um, totally agree. <laughs> your favourite sports movie is? Oh, Happy Gilmore, without a doubt. Ah, yes, brilliant. Yeah. Love it. Do you do you get the Happy Gilmore action when you go out on the golf course at all? Like You've got to give it a try at least once in your life, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a driving range staple. Um, yeah. The last few balls are usually Happy Gilmore balls. Make you feel yep. good. Um, yep. <laughs> do you remember yeah, that but, period uh, where you'd go to a driving range and they literally would have to have a sign that says no Happy Gilmore? Yeah. Do you remember those? They were fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, certainly do. I think they still have them sometimes. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a movie that transcends that so much because it just they literally have to ban people from ripping into yeah. it basically. No, so, exactly uh, right. Yeah. Great movie, great choice. Um, already know the answer to this as a kid. Uh, your favorite sports team was obviously Port Adelaide. Did you? You mentioned cycling, but do you get caught up in like soccer while you're over there? I mean, obviously Belgium's got a pretty handy team ahead of the World Cup this year, but I mean, don't know if you get caught up in the European domestic leagues because obviously it's a, a bit of a bigger deal over there than it is in Australia. Yeah, ne- never really got into the, the whole soccer thing. Um, yeah, just I, I guess obviously being Australian, it's not really something we supported growing up and things like that um so yeah just never never really got i've gone to a few games um yeah over the years and i have enjoyed that so i can see myself yeah i don't can't say i follow the ul league or anything like that um that closely just obviously see what happens on the news and things like that i can imagine though belgium would explode if they won the world cup i mean they'd have to be i think the smallest country to win the world cup if they did this year but um yeah yeah no that would be i i i I always don't mind the Belgium team in a World Cup. So anyway, uh, your favourite workout? We touched on the workouts before, but what is what is the one that you love doing when you go to the gym? Yeah, I'm a pretty big fan of just like yeah, almost like supersets, really. Like yeah, just your heavy lifts, your squats, um, things like that. So it's, I think it's one of those things that the grass is always greener on the other side. And, and being a bigger guy, I've never really been able to do the big weight gain, muscle build stuff. So I think when I finally get the opportunity and I'm allowed to do it the once a week, then uh, <laughs> then uh, I really that's, that's my favourite, just to go and sort of smash out some big weights. Good answer. I like it. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I'd almost say Perth. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I do, I do miss home. Um, yeah, uh, it's one place I obviously enjoy being and... Um, yeah, I think it's it's got the best of everything in Perth, so that would be my answer. Nice to give a, the home city a plug. I like that. So, uh, and got to say, as as a, a fan of like all things Olympics, and I'm a big fan of a certain Basil Zemplis and his commentary. Obviously, he's your mayor now, so I mean, it's kind of this weirdness. I don't know how much of like when you're watching, say, the swimming when you're in Tokyo, if you get the Channel Seven feed, and if you do, you're going like, oh, that's my hometown's mayor at the moment, just commentating <laughs> the swimming as you do at the Olympics, right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I mean, me and my mate Basil. No, I've actually yeah. never met Basil. 
Um, you're in a Perth yeah, Olympic the, gold medalist. I thought he'd be there greeting you as you got off the plane. <laughs> yeah, I missed, I missed the opportunity to welcome home. Um, Come on, Baz. Jeez, yeah. we, have to, we have to get words with him if we ever get him on the show. If you could have lunch with, maybe it could be Basil Zemplis, if you could have lunch with any one person, who would it be? <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's a tough question. Uh, from pure enjoyment and fun, I would say someone like like Usain Bolt would be really yeah. amazing. Um, yeah, a success, successful person as well as a, seems to have a good good fun. Indeed. Um, yeah, but oh, I mean, so many people out there, isn't there that you'd like to sit down with? Someone like Bill Gates would be interesting. Oh yeah, um, Maybe, yeah. He, just he'd pay a, for it at least, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Might be able to afford uh, just it. From, yeah, from a pure interest point of view, I think it'd just be an interesting, uh, interesting lunch. Good answers. I like that. Uh, if you could choose, I mean, I might know the answer to this one based on your love of your home city, but if you could choose any Olympic host city, where would it be? Ooh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I, I think just Sydney from a from the historical side of, of 2000 and just the infrastructure uh, and everything, I think it would be amazing if Sydney put on another amazing Olympics. So that'd be cool. But I, um, I, I also think Paris would be quite a, in, incredible yeah. as well. So um, I think that's something that I look forward to as well, seeing how it's, they run a show. It's so crazy to think that I mean, it's going to be the third time hosting the Olympics, but they haven't hosted it in like 100 years. So it's kind of like none mm. of us in our lifetime have seen Paris host an Olympics, which it just seems like such an obvious city to host an Olympics. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. 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 It's not, (laughs) you see it in history that, yeah, the Olympics being in Paris being quite prominent, but yeah, I think um, it's been such a long time that, yeah, it'll be incredible. Going to be a great, a great show, and it's it's a shame that like I, you're going there. You're obviously probably not going to be able to go to the uh, opening ceremony because you're going to be a little bit far away. But that's a shame because they, they're going down the river. Like I mean, this is yeah. the sailors should automatically be. You should be carrying the athletes. This should be your in your <laughs> wheelhouse. So it's kind of like a shame that they've put the sailing so far away. Yeah, yeah, that in itself sounds like an incredible experience. So um, yeah, that that is a bit of a shame. Um, but yeah. I guess hopefully they'll do something just as special for the closing ceremony. We can uh, yeah. we can join we'll in see. that. Yeah, maybe we'll <laughs> see. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oof. Oh, I'd say time travel. Um, mm. Yeah, to be able to 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 jump like that, just purely from the amount of travel that we do. Um, yeah. Yeah. How much that sucks it would just be cool to be able to jump from one place to the other. That would be perfect. And, like, I mean, just, yeah, sitting around casually on a, on a Monday, bugger it, I'm just going to go to, I don't know, China. I'm just going to go to, yeah. you know, Africa. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, why not? Bored. What, what can I get for dinner in South Africa at six? You know, like, just uh, try different cuisines. Uh, what is the weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you? Uh, oof. My coach, Blackers, didn't really talk all that much. So he, whenever he did talk, he kind of listened to, but, uh, <laughs> strange or oh. i've had relationship advice before that was strange oh um yeah, like in the middle something. of a like you know you're out in the <laughs> ocean and all of a sudden by yeah. the way this is what you should get your girlfriend for christmas um. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah 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 um, wow yeah oh other than that i mean yeah nothing too strange to be honest um yeah but that, that's probably the weirdest one yeah I, I, I don't see how that would help you perform. Maybe it did help you. Maybe, I don't know. Like, maybe that got you the gold medal in Tokyo. <laughs> oh, all of a sudden, you're out there in the water. Life, 
Yeah, <laughs> this this worked. God, gold medal. There you yeah, go. Yeah, Sweet. Exactly. Um, I love this question because it is so obscure and uh, out of the blue, which you can interpret this however you want to. When you were little, what was one thing you always thought? <laughs> it is obscure. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'll just give you an example. So the answer here, we're using uh, Heather Bainsley, a Canadian beach volleyball player. Her answer to this was being an adult couldn't come fast enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I, I always thought about finally finishing school. Um, I was never really a fan of school, so even from a really young age, I always just wanted to be out of there. Uh, <laughs> that was something I always thought about and daydreamed about when I was at, yeah. in class. Uh, yeah, other than that. Um, That's a great I guess I, we all had always, that, I always dreamed of the gold medal. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. There you go. I think one of the best answers I ever got for that one was that I was always hungry as a kid, which, you know, oh, kind yeah. of works. Which, That's a good one. Which, does, do, so on the school thing, though, not sure if it's happened yet, and by all means give a plug to your school, but, like, if they then invite you back, like, hey, former pupil is now an Olympic gold medalist, you're going, oh, fuck, I thought I'd never leave this place. I'm not going back. <laughs> yeah, we got a got a 10-year reunion this year that just ah. being organised. So, yeah. Wow. That's it. Unfortunately, I'm not home. Um, oh, what a shame. But I thought that would yeah. always be a cool thing, though. Like, like you know how you always have that thing going to a reunion, like who's the most successful? Olympic gold medalist. Yeah, I've done all right for myself. Yeah, there is there is those two sides of it. So the awkwardness <laughs> of having a school reunion, but at the same time, it's at least you've got something to be successful and, uh, yeah, have a conversation about. <laughs> True. Are you are you the most successful? Like, like you don't, you're not like classmates with, like, I don't know, Nick Nanui or somebody like that, are you? Like, I mean, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, one of the guys I went to school with, he plays for Fremantle. Um, okay. Yeah, and I think that there's certainly a few. It was quite a big year, so percentage-wise and, uh, yeah, stats-wise, we probably had more likely to have a few successful people. But, um, Did you go to school yeah, with I Daniel think- Ricciardo, Matt? Are you, are you holding this back? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, unfortunately not. I wish I had a link to Daniel Ricciardo. That would be cool. <laughs> he would have met Basil, surely. Like, I mean, he, you oh, know. surely. Can't imagine that yeah. he hasn't escaped uh, seeing Basil along the way. Matt, before we let you go, people who want to follow the journey through to, to Paris, LA, to Brisbane and beyond, uh, social media, websites, where can people uh, stay up to date with you? Yeah, Matt Wern Sailing on uh, on Facebook and, yeah, on on, on the web. Um, but, yeah, probably the biggest one's uh, yeah, Instagram, Matt Wern 1995. So, yeah, is me. Uh, it's probably probably the most likely to keep in touch with what's going on. All well, the other ones seem to have gone in the back pocket. But um, yeah, don't have MySpace that's anymore. Still, uh, that's gone. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, unfortunately not. <laughs> Jumped on TikTok. Are you on TikTok? Uh, I was like, no, it's myself. something I've something I've said I will never do. I reckon. Uh, I think there needs to be a sailing TikTok. There probably is. I'm sure there is. But like, I mean, you know, you could yeah. you could set the trend here. Olympic gold medalist Matt Wern on the TikTok. Like that would work. You never know. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. There, there are some cool things to watch from a sailing point of view, crashes and stuff like that. So maybe it will take <laughs> off. <laughs> I, I, I stand by. We, we had this when we had uh, uh, Will on a couple of weeks back that, uh, again, parts of the Caribbean music, add it to sailing and the kids will get involved. At the at the Olympics, you know that, that that's what that's what you need to do. So like, blast it at Paris. I want you to put a little portable speaker on the laser and just you know, dun, 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 yeah. dun, 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 and just blast it at you. You would attract everyone involved. You don't need TikTok for that. No, exactly. No, but uh, that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> Again, you're getting so many ideas, Matt. I'll have to start charging for them. Matt, it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure to have you on the show today. Good luck. Everything moving forward for, for Paris and beyond, but we really do appreciate your time and off the podium today. Ah, thank you. Much appreciated.
And a massive, massive thanks there to Matt for his time. I'm, I'm sad at Basil. I thought Basil would have uh, basically been on the phone to every Perth athlete after those Olympics to make sure that they were getting the Perth treatment. So uh, there you go, Baz. If you're listening, I expect you to fix that up toot sweet. Thank you very much. But big thanks to Matt for his time and obviously wishing him the best of luck leading in to Tokyo, uh, to Paris. He obviously had some pretty good luck in Tokyo and uh, everywhere else in between. If you uh, like this interview too and want to see the video version of it, YouTube, you can hit us up on there as well as all of our other social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, search for Off The Podium, best way to stay up to date with what we've got coming up and who we've got coming up. And I like this idea of teasing you rather than just flat out telling you, this is who we've got on the show next week. I'm going to basically come out and just tease, give you a bit of a hint, a bit of a taste of who we've got coming up because this is fun. Next week, I'll give you a tease and a taste, an Olympic speed skater who won a medal in Beijing. There you go. You can sit on that. And we will put that out on our social media throughout the week as to who is on the next week's episode. So I like this. I like keeping you anticipated to make you tune in for next week. Because if I just turned around and said, oh, we've got this person, you're like, no, I don't like them. You're not going to listen. So this way, we can all win. You get a great episode. And also, we get listeners. It's a win-win for everybody involved. Of course, you can stay up to date with all the episodes as well by subscribing to our show on all the good podcast platforms. Search for Off The Podium. We're on all of them. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iHeart Radio. Radio. Not iHeart Radio. That's a, that's a new one coming soon, probably. Amazon Podcasts. You name it, we're out there. So uh, subscribe to the show. And if you do subscribe and leave some feedback, it helps us get seen out there as well. So we would appreciate if you could do that at the same time. We would love you for a very long time. We do already, but we would love you even more. Just saying. Just putting that out there into the universe. Big thanks again to Matt for his time. Big thanks to you for listening to the show. As always, a shout-out goes to the Birmingham Bull. My name is Ben. This is Off the Podium. And remember to go left. Jimmy Jeffrey,